Hey fam, how is it going? I hope you had a great weekend. Welcome back to Pillars. I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, and this week we're keeping the hard rock theme going, at least just for a little while longer. Thank you for entertaining me. I am thrilled this week to host a conversation with hard rock women's winner, Sabrina Stanley, who is one of the most impressive athletes in the sport right now and with her recent victory at hard rock i think it is safe to say that sabrina has firmly established herself as one of the best ultra runners in the world right now so i was really excited to get her on the show and get to know her a little bit better not only is she a two-time hard rock champion but sabrina has also been on the podium at western states she is the current fkt holder of the Victorious Nolan's 14 route in Colorado. She has won the infamous Diagonal Defu, the Grand Raid of Reunion Island, and she hasn't lost an ultra in more than three years. That's right. Obviously, Sabrina is a great and talented athlete, but what really sets her apart is her mentality and her self-belief. She is an absolute competitor and she is 100% committed to being the best athlete that she can be. It is so inspiring and I think it is really instructive to younger athletes, to aspiring pros, to people who just wanna get the best out of themselves, to be confident in your abilities, to be fearless sometimes and to behave like a professional in service of your goals. In addition to talking about hard rock, we also discuss Sabrina's background, Nolan's, her upcoming run at UTMB, and the goals that she has for herself in the future as one of the rising stars in the sport. I think you all are really gonna enjoy this conversation. Before we get to Sabrina, I just wanna do a quick plug for what we do here at Pillars. If you enjoy the show and what we do, we would love it if you would download and subscribe to our app. If you're not familiar, we have a training app made specifically for trail and ultra runners. And what we're trying to do is to innovate sort of the coaching and information model in the sport. So within the app, we have tons of great training plans. We have training content, strength and movement information, breath work, nutrition, yoga, and a lot more. And we also do weekly Zoom calls with all the subscribers where we talk training and racing, we host special guests sometimes, we answer questions, and generally we all just converse and learn from one another. It's really awesome, it's the highlight of my week. So it is not one-on-one coaching, but it's also not just a simple training plan with a pat on the back to send you on your way. Uh, What we're trying to do is build a community. It's uh, about friendship. It's about support. It's about the lifestyle. And we hope you will join us. It is really great to connect with our subscribers. And it allows me to actually justify the time, money, and energy that it takes to make this show something worthy of your attention. So please check out the Pillars app in the iOS and or Android app store and help us push this sport into the next generation. Okay, that's it. Please welcome two-time hard rock champion, the great Sabrina Stanley. 
Sabrina Stanley, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm uh, back in my kind of my hometown or like 10 miles uh, west of it. So close enough. So yeah, it's nice to be back home uh, just for a short visit from from time to time. So where is your hometown? I don't, I see, I, I need to like, we have to go back to the beginning with you. So, so tell us about where your hometown is. You said you're not far from where I sit here in Portland, Oregon. Where are you? Yeah. So, um, exit 68 on I-5. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a little town called Onalaska. Um, so it kind of sits at the base of like, like for my mom's property, you can see like Rainier, St. Helens and Adams, just like kind of, it's like not a Colorado like bull, but like a huge Washington mountain bull. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just a very small, like logging slash dairy farm community. Um, kind of like size wise, similar to Silverton. So I think that's why I kind of connect with, with that location as well. Um, yeah. That's, that's so cool. And there's hardy people are yes. born <laughs> yeah, from the, the logging and dairy cow communities uh, of North America. <laughs> so it's no surprise that uh, you've gone on to achieve the things that you have. And you and I are both now one week removed from hard rock. I think at this time we were probably somewhere going up handies or so, uh, one week ago now. Um, I, so I just sort of want to start the conversation by just, uh, opening up to how you're feeling with a little bit of perspective of seven days removed from your second victory at the hard rock 100, any, uh, initial reactions or things that have come to mind with a little perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same with any race. Like the minute you finish, you start questioning shit could I have done it better? Like where could I have improved and where did I nail it? And I would say it's the same with every race. When I finish, I look back and I say, I did all I could do. <laughs> like as the hours start to tick by and you get further removed and you don't feel the pain as much anymore, you're like, Oh, I was really weak there. I definitely could have pushed harder on this section. Um, and so, yeah, you just start being much more critical of yourself because you don't have that pain on your legs anymore. And you think that you're more invincible than you were in that moment. Um, so yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been analyzing my race and critiquing it, um, as much as, as I feel as healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll go into the things that, you know, you did well and the things that maybe you think that you can improve a little bit later, but, uh, congratulations on another. Thank you. Three. I mean, I'm just so impressed by you as an athlete and as a person, I'm so excited that we're having you on the podcast because, you know, I've been following you for a while and I feel like it's now where, you know, really the international ultra running world has to take uh, recognition of you as an athlete and where you really are sort of like breaking into your own as an athlete. Obviously, you've already achieved a, a number of amazing things. I mean, there's not a lot of people who've been on the podium at Western States who've won Hard Rock twice, who hold the FKT at Nolan's 14, who've won Diagonal to Foo, I mean, among many other things. So there's a lot for us to talk about, but <laughs> as, because you and I don't know each other well. We in fact, I, I introduced myself to you in the opening mile in Silverton, just said, hey, Sabrina, you know, good luck today or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I've been following your career and, uh, 
yeah, I feel like there's, there's a lot of ground to cover, but I'd love to just learn more about you as a person, you know, obviously we've just talked a little bit about where you grew up, but maybe talk a little bit about sort of like your upbringing and your relationship to sport and sort of when that sort of became uh, a big part of who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a very small town and, um, I mean, my grandparents still live here. My parents, they, everybody went to the same high school. Um, and so I had, I'm one of six and my dad had us in sports, like team sports from the time we could walk. Um, I have a sister that's two years older than me. And so I always played up with her. So I was always the smallest one on the team. Um, and I have horrible eyes. So like my dad would just tell me to get hit by the ball in baseball. That was the rule. You get hit by the ball, you get on base. <laughs> so, like, I was just like hugging the plate as like just a snotty nose, like five-year-old, just ready to like, I don't Jump know. Jump in get, front of the fastball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chin, chin music. Yeah. Yeah. We would come home and I'd have like laces on my arm or like across my back or something. And my mom would get so mad. And my dad would be like, she's fine. She's fine. So, um, <laughs> she got on base. She took one for the team. That's what exactly. it is. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of like the mentality growing up was like, I don't know. You just absorb the pain and it's part of the game. And, uh, so yeah, I grew up playing uh, fast pitch and then basketball, volleyball, soccer through middle school. Um, soccer stopped in middle school, but the other sports like kept going. And so it was always team environments. And I think those team environments lend themselves to much more competitiveness than individual sports sometimes. Mm. And I, I didn't truly realize that until I started running. Um, and the, the perspective kind of shifts when you get in those environments. Cause, um, I don't know, like I grew up watching game film and studying other athletes and like studying different team strategies. And so I've really, I think, carried that into trail running in a way that is maybe a little bit new to the sport. Yeah, totally. And I know you always answer these questions about having self-belief and self-confidence, and we'll touch on that a little bit, but what sort of like brought you into, into running itself? I mean, as a team sport athlete, it's something I identify with a lot myself growing up, uh, you know, playing field sports myself and, yeah. you know, playing lacrosse through high school and college. How did you end up getting into like trail and ultra running? Um, so I started out, my mom was always like doing activity. Like she's always trying to stay in shape herself. And so as kids, like she would drag us to the high school track and she'd run two miles, which to us was like a lot, like you only run a mile on a track, but she would always do two, which was excessive. And, um, so when I became a sophomore in high school, I met a girl from a different school and she said she ran seven miles every day, which blew my mind. Um, and I was like, I think I can try that. And so that summer I went home and I ran 7.2 miles every single day. Cause I'm like, if she can run seven, I can run like a quarter mile further. Wow. Um, and so I, I, just did that every single day. And I fell in love with it. Um, I thought that marathons and half marathons were for like Olympic athletes only. And so when I was, I think 19 or 18, uh, a friend of a friend knew that I love to run and she asked me to do a half marathon with her. And that's when my eyes kind of opened that anybody can sign up for these events. And so I started doing road and half marathons, um, moved to Colorado because I wanted to live at altitude and qualify for Boston, yeah. which is like, I was such a mediocre runner. Um, like my PR <laughs> marathon at the time was, oh, I'm, I don't remember at that exact time, but like my my road PR marathon is 3:41 right now. Which really, yeah, it's not like anything <laughs> like super impressive. Um, sure. 
Yeah, we ended up, a girlfriend and I moved to Breckenridge and there isn't like a ton of road running there. And so I just started running trails and didn't realize that it was like a, a sport. Um, but through that, I meet other people and a running store opened up in town while I lived there. So I kind of got involved in that community and it, I put my name in for Leadville. Um, I made a goal that I was going to do Leadville before I was 40. And so at 25, I put my name into the lottery thinking it would take like hard rock time to get in. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and my name got drawn the very first time. So I did a 50 miler in preparation and went and tackled Leadville. Um, yeah. Failed, failed miserably. And then said, you know, I, I want to learn. Well, how what to do you do mean you right. failed miserably? Didn't you finish like fourth place or something? No, that was my comeback. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so you, did I, you not make it to the finish line? I didn't. I got timed out at mile 87. No way. You yeah. got timed out at yeah. 87. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Tell, tell this story because this makes your story even better. I had no idea <laughs> about this. Yeah. This is really interesting because also like Brittany Peterson, who I've had on the program yeah. in the past, I didn't know this about her either, but she in her first hundred mile race, which was at Leadville, I think she ultimately finished in like 28 and change, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, it's such a awesome sort of like hero's journey that you, you guys have both been through, but I, I'd love to hear you tell the story of being timed out at Leadville your first try. For sure. And I, I look at it as a blessing. So I think if I'd finished middle of the pack, I would have walked away from that race race and been happy and been like, that's my potential. Like that's what I am as a runner and continued to, to perform at that level. Um, so yeah, I went into Leadville drastically undertrained, didn't really realize it at the time. Um, I mean, I was doing maybe 50 mile weeks and like my long runs were eight miles. <laughs> so yeah, I went into it. I had a really good 50 mile race that February and it was my first ultra. And I think that confidence carried over in a negative way. Um, but yeah, so I step up to the starting line, like PR'd my half marathon, feeling really good. Um, made it all the way, I think to twin lakes the first time. So 40 miles in and my knee starts bothering me a little bit. It was just overuse injury because I didn't train right. Yeah. Go up and over Hope Pass, come back down. Now my knee is like crazy, crazy painful. And uh, I just like sat in the river on the way back down. Just I needed to like ice my legs. Um, but I kept pushing, make it back to a uh, fish hatch. And I don't, I honestly don't remember what my nutrition was like, but I know it was really poor. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, I get to fish hatch. It's, I'm freezing. Um, my brother's like massaging out my knee, which at the time, like looking back, I think he did way more damage than was good because I just <laughs> wanted like the most extreme pressure I could get on my knee. And so he's massaging the tendons behind it. And he's like, I don't know, six, two, six, three, like two forty. Like he's a big dude. <laughs> and he just has these like massive football hands and just like kneading the back of the tendon, the tendons on the back of my knees. And, um, yeah, I, left fish hatch and started hiking up power line with um, his now wife who is like 90 pounds. She's tiny. Mm -hmm. And I need hiking poles because my knee was hurting so bad. Mm -hmm. So I asked Tabitha to run into the woods and get me some hiking poles and meaning some got, sticks, some, yes, some sticks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some sticks. Um, <laughs> Not some then, carbon lecky. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I just needed, I needed something to put my weight on as I hiked. Yeah. Uh, and then this, this girl comes running up beside me and she is like, here, take my, take my hiking poles. 
And I was like, no, no, thank you. And she's so insistent. And I'm getting like angrier and angrier because how dare this person be so confident in their race that they can just give away their gear oh. to like little old me. Like I just was not about her charity. Yeah. Um, so she keeps trying to force them on me and I'm like, no, no, my pacers in the woods and she's finding me some, it's totally fine. And this girl grabs my forearm she like looks me dead in the eyes and she goes, Sabrina, it's me, Tabitha. And like, I had no idea. I was hallucinating. You're hallucinating. Yeah. That it was another racer. Um, and then like two or three more times on this climb, I would, she would be hiking next to me and I would turn around and yell down the mountain. I'd be like, Tabitha, I found some hiking poles, like come up and join me. And then she'd fully be like, losing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cause my nutrition was so far gone. Um, yeah, finally make it to the top of power line. And then the sun's coming up now, coming down the other side. And I, I mean, I've had going up Nolan's Elbert, my first attempt. And then, and then this were like my two lowest points ever in racing. I yeah. fully crashed and burned mentally and physically. And I, I mean, even though I timed out at 87, I, I was hoping for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't know if I you did want to yeah. keep going. I don't know if what I could make it. Amazing story. I mean, Sabrina, that's so incredible to see you sort of have that sort of big disappointment very earlier in your career and see how that has potentially launched you into the place you are now as sure. one of the best in the world with a huge future ahead of you in addition to already achieving so much. But I'm also interested in this situation where this initial 50 miler gave you confidence in a way that was potentially detrimental because obviously people who know you and admire you admire you for the confidence that you have, but maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to, uh, sort of like just still stay with your background just a little bit, yeah. just, uh, because I think it's interesting in sort of exploring who you are as a person and, this concept or this um, sort of theme where your friend was running seven miles a day. So you had to run 7.2. You grew up one of six kids. So you're probably sort of fighting for attention and resources within the family. Um, and, and like you posted after hard rock, you know, that you've always had this drive for greatness. Like your soul aches for greatness is what you said ever since you can remember. So do you, can you identify, identify sort of like where that came from? Is it part of being, uh, you know, a small kid and a big family and like, where do you think that drive to be great comes from in you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, so I'm the second of six. Um, and so I think totally like middle child syndrome to an extent. Um, yeah. And I don't My dad is like the biggest sports buff in the world. He, he's one of those guys who still talks about a state championship when he was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> yes. um, like when I hear glory, I need to hang out with your team, dad. Yeah. Yeah. Avery loves him. Um, he's so laid back and chill, but I mean, he's a high school sports guy at his core. Um, and so, yeah, just like being around him and appreciate he, you know, like Michael Jordan, Larry bird, like uh, Charles Barkley, just like growing up, he was obsessed with the NBA and, um, I mean, I think his dream was to have one of us make it to like, like I had one of my brothers play football overseas in um, Germany. And mm -hmm. then another one was like, I don't know, dream, like super close. He pitched for uh, Portland state, you know, he was dreaming of going to the MLB. And so like, we were all like so close and I know he never 
it's not like trail running. Like that wasn't even on his radar, but um, yeah, I, in like a weird, I don't know if you want to analyze it, like psychologically, you know, like I just approval <laughs> sure, <laughs> like at its yeah. core, like everybody just wants to like make their parents proud. And um, we were never encouraged I mean, we were, we had to get A's, but that was all my mom. My dad did not care about grades. He cared about you being a starter. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I just have like sports and like staying in shape has always been a, been a part of my life. And so even as I became older and got into more hobby or recreational running, there was always a level of competitiveness with myself. And then you start analyzing other women's paces and you're like, Oh, I think I can, I think I can pull that off. Mm -hmm. Um, like when I started Leadville 2015, the year I DNF'd, I went into it thinking I was going to win this race and people are gonna be like, who's Sabrina Stanley, um, with no credentials under my belt and no experience and just delusional at its best. Um, and so I just, I think, yeah. Um, I mean, it's incredible. It's like, yeah, I mean, most people don't have that. You know, I certainly never felt that way before Leadville, which was my first 100 miler too. And I think to a certain degree to reach that super upper echelon where you've clearly sort of established yourself now, you do have to have that belief in yourself and that drive to be great. And, uh, I think it's just, uh, something that I I'd like to explore with, with all the great athletes that I have on the show and something that I find fascinating because it doesn't, it's not something that comes naturally to me. And I don't think it's something that comes naturally to everybody. And there's a certain sort of nurture nature versus nurture with all of us. Sure. You know, you grew up in a sporty family and you had, that sort of environment where you could develop as an athlete, learn how to be competitive, et cetera. But maybe the circumstance of growing up in the family that you did with a lot of brothers and sisters, a lot of other athletes in the family who are also competitive, maybe created this, this, uh, this nurture environment where you became the competitor and the absolute beast that you are now as a, as a trail runner. And it's, uh, it's just so interesting, I think, to kind of see, see where we've uh, came from and uh, match it to, to where we are now, but there's so much for us to talk to so or talk about. So I don't want to spend too much time on the background because obviously you just did hard rock, but I want to talk about Nolan's and I also want to talk yeah. about what you have coming up in the future and how you visualize your future as a trail and ultra runner. So let's talk about Nolan's first. Um, obviously last year was a year without a lot of racing and competition. So, um, is that how Nolan sort of came on your radar or was it something you had been thinking about, um, a little bit earlier, uh, and a goal that you'd had longer term? Yeah. Uh, I first heard about Nolan's, uh, man, I think, summer of 2016. Um, and that was when Anna Frost and, uh, Missy Gosney were going after it. And, uh, my, I was working at a running store and my boss, um, who also crewed me at, at hard rock this year, he was there and he was following their trackers and, and, you know, reading reports on them. And so that's when I first learned what it was. And you kind of hear about it and you're like, Oh, that's something that maybe I'd like to tackle in the future. But at that time I, I hadn't done any, like I had my Leadville DNF and that was it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's just like, Oh, that's a cool goal that maybe will come across my path at, you know, some distant point. Um, so then when, when COVID hit, it's time to start thinking about FKTs and I start researching like 
drivable locations. Um, and then also like the most badass one I could find, like what has the most <laughs> vertical, what's roughly a hundred miles, which I think is my kind of, um, I guess wheelhouse. And obviously Nolan's fits the bill for that perfectly. Um, and so you start setting the course, start setting past time, start reaching out to past finisher finishers, um, start planning logistics, how to get up there. And then at the time, hard rock was still a go. So it's also like, how do I manage mentally? Like, which should I be preparing for and which should we take seriously? So I was kind of all on board for hard rock until they canceled it. But, um, yeah, went up June 1st and decided to camp on course, um, as much as we possibly could that summer and just learn the course in and mm. out, um, take different routes, see which one's more efficient, see which one is more direct and mm. which ones I prefer and which one suits, suits my ability the most. And so, yeah, I just start planning it out, um, from square one that summer, really. Yeah. So ultimately I mean, the story is that you did it twice over basically like six or seven weeks in the first run of the Nolan's 14. I mean, which is absolutely incredible in and of itself. The fact that you, anybody who finishes the race is deserving of a lifetime of recognition. Anybody who does it twice is in a league of their own. Anybody who does it twice in one summer is like, you know, there's probably only one person who's ever done that. And I'm talking to her right now. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, your first, your first one, you, you took eight hours off the existing FKT. Um, did you feel like there was still a big margin left on the route at that point? You felt like you had sort of underperformed your, your potential. Without a doubt. Um, Mm -hmm. There's like little navigational errors throughout it. Um, I mean, just 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, nothing, nothing super serious. Um, and then I got to Elbert, which is the second to last peak, the highest peak in all of Colorado. And I, I mean, I knew the course I, it was dark. I was with, uh, Avery and I crashed and burned mentally and physically like harder than I had ever experienced in my life. Um, I feel that I can mentally conquer anything. Like I, yeah, like I just, like, I, yeah, I have the supreme confidence in myself that like, mm-hmm. bring it on. If you can break me mentally, then like, I don't know who, who I am anymore. And so there was no way no one's was going to break me. And I get up to, I mean, it was just like fall summit after fall summit after fall summit on Elbert on the route you do on Nolan's. And, um, I, I didn't realize at the time cause it was dark, but I think there was a lot of smoke up there. And so I thought it was just being at elevation for an extended period, but mm-hmm. my lungs and heart were burning so bad. Um, I couldn't breathe. I felt like, and I, I never like, can I swear? Is that, of course, please. Okay. Yes, I was yes. never just like, fuck it. But at the same time, every five minutes I'd be like, Avery, can I, just sleep on these rocks for five minutes. And I yeah. hadn't slept yet. I had never done anything longer than I think Grand Raider Hard Rock. They were like similar finish times. Um, mm-hmm. But let's say 30 and a half hours was the longest I've ever gone. And now so we're, you're probably 40 plus at this point. Yep. Yeah, exactly. No sleep. And uh, all I wanted to do was just like pass out on the rocks for, you know, five, 10 minutes. And he's like, no, you're at 14,000 feet. Like you can't, you're not going to get any recovery. You have to keep pushing. And then you just can't breathe. And so you're trying to, you're trying to eat, but every time you stop to eat, then you're like gasping for air. And so when I ate, I would stop and sit for five minutes and then get up, take like three or four more steps and magically a half hour disappear. And I would have to like 
eat again. Yeah. And so it was just this constant, never ending climb up this mountain. And I knew like hours were ticking by. Mm. Um, and we, we finally made it to the summit and make it down. And I ended up sleeping before doing my last climb. Um, which also like I went into Nolan's the first attempt saying I was not going to sleep and, um, yeah, I was going to break the record, but I did sleep and I took again, hours longer on Albert than was necessary. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so then ultimately Megan Hicks, fellow Silverton, Colorado resident lowered your time by just like 45 minutes or something like that. And it was only a few weeks after your attempt. Was that, is it, was it an immediate decision that you were going to go back and take the FKT back at that point when Megan lowered your mark or did it take a little while to make that decision? No. So, I mean, I said at the beginning of summer, Whoever, if somebody goes out and takes my record, I'm going back out there. Whoever she is, like it's, I'm going back out there. I never thought I would have to make that decision. (laughs) (laughs) I just never, never like in my wildest dreams thought that. I don't know. And so, yeah, when Megan broke my record, I was obviously tracking her. Um, Congratulator was super happy, but also like there's this emptiness now. Like everything you'd worked for all summer is just gone. Totally. Um, So, yeah, uh, it was an hour max before I texted Adidas or my team manager with Adidas. I texted my crew, everybody that helped me with the first attempt. I talked to Avery and I said, I'm going back. I started looking at moon patterns. Um, I started looking at weather. (laughs) I researched, had anybody done it in October before? Like, is it even a possibility? Right. And like, once I knew there was no external factors that could stop this, then I had to go for it. Um, so yeah, we started planning it. And, um, I think from the time I, uh, started my first Nolans to the time I finished my second one, it was 58 days. Um, yeah. So under two months. So ultimately you then lower the FKT again by an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. I think it's under, under 49 hours. Now, uh, did you feel like you had gotten the most out of yourself or do you feel like there's still time out there on the Nolan's route for you? Oh, there's time for sure. <laughs> I mean, case in, well, like number one, my body was not ready for it. Um, I mean, peak one, it seemed like I was 80 miles in and yeah. now it just becomes how fast can you hike this and run when you can, but it's just about constant movement. And so there was no speed factor with my second Nolan's at all. It was just don't get it done. sleep. Don't sleep exactly. and do Albert a little faster. Yeah. Um, well, this, this sort of segues into something, you know, sort of last question I want to talk about on Nolan. Yeah. You and I did a interview with the run beyond podcast just a couple of days ago. And it made me really want to talk to you at in more length. So here we are. But one of the things that you said in that interview that I thought was really interesting was that the second Nolan's attempt, yeah, as you said, your body wasn't ready. And you also said earlier that nothing can break you mentally. Like there's nothing that is overwhelming or overly intimidating to the point where you would be reluctant or, uh, yeah, skeptical of your own abilities in the face of a challenge. Um, and that basically the second Nolan's you ran with your heart and with your brain, not with your legs. So talk a little bit about that. Like, how did you, um, get through such a hard challenge and just generally, like, how do you cultivate that type of toughness and belief in yourself? Um, I mean, second Nolan's I, shut down. I think that's the only way I could have done it. I turned off my brain. Like you can't think about how much pain you're in. You can't think about how far you have to go. 
you literally have to, this is the goal and it's going to happen regardless. And so like, there's no questioning, like, is this healthy for me? Um, can I do this? Or should my knees be feeling like this? Should my <laughs> lungs be feeling like this? Whatever it is, I, whoever does Nolan the fastest deserves the record. Obviously that's how it is. And I believed that I deserved it. And so I had to prove it. Um, and I was on a mission from the get-go to do that. I like the first Nolan's attempt was so much fun. And my, I was partying with my crew and we were all laughing and smiles. The second attempt, it was a totally different vibe. Like they knew we were out there for a job and that's yeah. all it was. It was business. business. trip. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so it was honestly countdown 14 challenges, you know, get it done move on to the next, get it done, move on to the next and make sure you're eating, make sure like you're mentally staying aware enough. Everything is, is calculated for that end goal. And there's no room for any bullshit outside of that. And so yeah. that kind of focus I've never experienced or had to experience any other regard. Um, I think my girlfriend, Abby, she, she did the John Muir trail and it, that's a four day attempt. And she yep. did it so with no support. This is Abby Hall. We had her on the podcast yes. too. We yes. talked about yeah. it. She's, yeah. awesome. she's awesome. Yeah. And every time we talk or we're together, we both reference our own individual experiences so much. And we've talked about like, we're just going to stop apologizing for it because that's the hardest thing that either one of us has ever done. And so that's what we, any other experience in life, we go back to like, Oh, I've learned this lesson in my attempt. Like uh -huh. I've learned this lesson here. And so it's kind of weird how all arrows point to my second Nolan's. Cause like it was a soul check, you know, yeah, it just, wow. it, a soul it shows check. You what, yeah. What it shows you what you're capable to describe of. that. Wow. <laughs> you're so cool, man. You and Abby are so, <laughs> so inspiring. That's just so badass. And congratulations. Obviously. Yes, you do deserve the, the FKT and, I have pity on whoever comes through and, <laughs> and lowers it the next time because uh, I have a feeling that you, they will awaken a sleeping giant. But anyway, let's talk about hard rock because obviously we're only a week removed. You absolutely smashed it. You're two-time champion now. You've won in both directions. I want to start by just talking about preparation and training. You obviously live in Silverton. You have a lot of experience on the course. You're not on Strava, at least from what I can tell. So, <laughs> I have one I, run. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd love to, for whatever you're willing to share, I don't need you to yeah. divulge any secrets, but I'd love to learn sort of like what your training is like and any sort of like real statistics that you can provide. I think people would be really interested to hear. For sure. Uh, the reason I'm not on Strava is because I feel very self-critical of my running. And I think that if most people looked at my training times, they'd be like, there's no way this, this girl is like her ultra signup does not match her training. I don't really? do. Yeah. I don't do a lot of speed workouts. I don't do, I just don't think I'm fast. I do not think I'm fast. And so I've also started to realize that most of that's because I train with Avery Collins. And so like my caliber for fast is like every single run we go on, I get my ass kicked. And, mm -hmm. uh, which is not good for the ego. So maybe it is good for my ego. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. So four months out from my A race, I pick one A race every year. So obviously this year's hard rock four months out is when I say like all roads point to, we'll say hard rock. Everything mm -hmm. I do now is for hard rock. And so, um, I start off 
we'll say 70 mile weeks and just kind of like hang out in that zone for a while and pretty standard, like three weeks on one week rest, three weeks on one week rest. Um, and then this year I decided, um, so I did two taper weeks before hard rock, but the five weeks preceding that I said, I'm just going to go for it. I think I want insane amount of mileage under my legs. Um, so I did, uh, three weeks at a hundred and then I did one hundred and twelve mile week. And then I did another hundred mile week. Um, so 512 miles in five weeks and then two weeks taper those miles though, which I know a lot of ultra runners put in hundred mile weeks. I think there's something to be said for hundred mile weeks in the San Juans. Yes. <laughs> like, that's a different ballgame. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that. Yeah. hundred miles around Silverton is yeah probably the equivalent of 250 in most places. Yeah. So, uh, and this year I just really dialed in think for Nolan's and, and just previous years, I did a lot of mileage, but I never, I never stuck with workouts. And this year I said, I'm going to do a speed workout once a week. I'm going to do a tempo workout once a week. And then every other run that week is basically a long run, long run, um, whether mileage or time on feet. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, just a lot of spin, uh, interval speed work, um, long tempo runs and, Yeah. I mean, I can go more in depth if you, yeah. Well, one of the things I'm curious about is, is more on the lifestyle side of things. I mean, when you say for the four months leading into the event, all roads are, or all arrows are pointing at hard rock. Everything you do is devoted towards that performance. And actually one of the things that I did before hard rock is I went off the booze for six weeks which for me was a big undertaking, (laughs) probably the longest I've gone since I was like 16 years old. But, um, I was, I'm curious if there's, and and I should say, I think it helped me a ton, you know, not only just like from a a performance uh, perspective, but also, yeah, just like discipline and feeling a hundred percent every day, not feeling like 5% off because you're have had a, a beer or two the night before. And, uh, it's definitely something that I would implement. And I'm always fascinated by like, you know, people behaving like professionals, you know, what do they do outside of just the pure performance that contributes to their success? Is there anything there that you want to share? Yeah, I think, I mean, I just assume that anybody who's at the top of their game is clean and, and I mean like booze and, and any other substance. Mm. And so I was so incredibly disappointed when I watched Michael Jordan's documentary on the last, save the last, or the yeah, last dance. The last dance. Cause he's those like, guys smoking, partied. Yeah, those yeah, guys partied. he's like s- smoking cigars before practice. And I'm like, how, I don't know. I just had him on this pedestal of, of greatness that like he ate the cleanest diet. His body was so pure and all he did was work his ass off. But then you're like, wait, how like you're just so talented and so I don't think I'm that talented and so I do hold myself to those standards I I mean I would say five five days a year I have one drink and like three or four no let's say five days a year I have one drink and then twice a year I'll have like two to three drinks in a night but that's Mm -hmm. it and like that was the night after hard rock (laughs) but um yeah I just don't drink a lot um it's very rare I have a drink and then yeah, I would say I'm pretty clean with my diet. I do have a sweet tooth, so I'll indulge in a candy bar from time to time. But as far as like, I never eat like greasy foods or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. like rice and vegetables and a protein. Um, breakfast is basically the same thing every day. And then lunchtime, I'm out running. And so, yeah, I think 
I know I've ran after having like a glass of wine the night before and I feel it. I mean, especially when you live at 9,300 feet. And so I don't want to feel that way when I'm training. I want to feel like my training is I'm putting something in the bank for later and not just breaking even because I had a drink last night. So good for you. Yeah. I struggle with uh, the self-discipline thing. So anyway, it's it's not something I crave. So I think it just like depends because I mean, Avery loves beer and like, that's his thing. It's just not, it's not something I, it's just not genetically something I need or like crave in any way. Totally. Well, maybe Avery and I'll meet up at uh, Shannon for a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. So like talking a little bit more about your experience with the race, obviously this was your second victory at hard rock. You won the last time the race was held in 2018 as well. In the clockwise direction, we ran counterclockwise this time you won in a time of just over 30 hours. So similar to Nolan's, it seems like you knew likely that there was a big margin for improvement on your first victory. So maybe talk a little bit about that, about having that obviously like awesome accomplishment in your career, being a hard rock champion. How were you thinking about the 2018 performance and how much room did you think there was for improvement on your 30 hour time? Honestly, I think my first hard rock win is luck. Like, um, that time's not an impressive time for, for a female leader at all. And I knew that when I left it and I was super disappointed in myself. I knew at that time I wanted to go sub 30. I think that was kind of like the benchmark in my mind. Um, and I knew I could totally cut that off my last 20 ish miles of hard rock. The first time were really tough on me. Um, I, I mean, it's the last 20 miles of hard rock. Like, I don't know what you, you can expect of yourself, but I did expect more. There's a lot more hiking than I, uh, than I wished I had. So the second time, um, I don't know. I just, I, I always set out my goals and I always hit them. And this, this past hard work is the first time I didn't hit my time goal, which I'm okay with like it all in a weird way. I'm like more satisfied with that because when Mm. you do hit them, you're like, maybe you could have done better and you didn't believe in yourself enough. So, um, this, this last hard work, like I said, is the first time I missed it. And I'm kind of weirdly jazzed on that if there is a positive but uh yeah my last hard rock I just it was my first time it was my first 100 mile win and so that was also a position I wasn't like I don't like as familiar with um I just was a little bit of a novice and yeah I I um so, I got the job done, but I, I didn't push myself like I probably could have. Yeah. And so, so this year you were clearly, you know, you had publicly stated that the course record was your goal. Of course, the course record is held by hard rock legend, Diana Finkel, who I think won the race, what, three, four or five times, uh, back in the sort of early two thousands, mid two thousands. Um, and so, I mean, and obviously that's a a big goal to have, and there was a a great field of women this year, yourself, Courtney DeWalter, Darcy Pugh, Megan Hicks, uh, which for hard rock is probably, you know, one of the deeper, more competitive women's fields ever. And obviously you guys are also competing for overall places as well. So it was really exciting for, for fans of the sport and to sort of talk more about how it all played out. 
it was just a funny anecdote from, from me coming into Cunningham, the first aid station at mile nine, where you can resupply with crew. And then you leave for a 2,500 foot climb up, um, green mountain. I looked down after starting that second climb and saw you just storming up the dirt road from Cunningham, maybe only like two minutes behind me at that point. So, you know, obviously you went out really hard through Cunningham. So talk a little bit about that early part of the race, you coming through Cunningham probably well before your crew expected you and, uh, and maybe how that impacted the rest of the day going forward. Um, yeah, so I, my splits had me coming in at like 225 and I came in at, I think officially 159. Uh, so definitely ahead of schedule, um, ahead of when my crew thought I was going to be there ahead of when I thought I was going to be there. Um, yeah, I mean, leaving Silverton, I was like, I'm just going to sit back, kind of go as far back as I need to and let everybody else do their thing. I happened to fall in line right behind Darcy and Courtney. Um, so obviously that kind of like whether you want it to or not, you kind of just want to like sit, sit there and watch them and like, see what they're going to do. And if they're going to sit back or if they're going to go for it. Um, so who knows if I'm going to have visuals on them at any other point during the race or when that'll happen. So I'm watching, um, Darcy and Courtney and they're chit-chatting away like 50 feet in front of me for a long time, just right there. Honestly, I was studying how they climbed. I was studying how they were using their poles. Um, and Darcy kind of started falling back from Courtney. Courtney took the lead uh, and I'm just trying to stay consistent. So I like very slowly start gaining on Darcy and catch her midway up the first climb. Um, and now I'm, I'm gunning down Courtney and we're like five miles into the run. <laughs> like this is not how I wanted to race. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I just start, start watching Courtney and, and ever so slowly getting an inch at a time. Um, and then when you turn off on that single track, she she just missed the flags and kept going. And so um, I yelled at her, you know, like Courtney come back this way. And so that's when I was able to just step into the lead. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm just trying to focus on my breathing and do my thing. And so there's, there wasn't a lot of chatter and she, I think was like literally a step behind me all the way up that single track climb, get to the top roughly seven miles in. And I, I love that descent. I know that descent. And so I just started opening up and I, I wouldn't say I was pushing, but I was definitely letting gravity assist me as much as it could and, and sent it all the way down to the aid station, not really knowing my splits or anything. Um, got there. My crew wasn't there. Cause again, they were expecting me a half hour later and, um, Abby Hall was there and she goes to hand me two water bottles and I just didn't want them. Like I thought she was going to hand me a second pack. I was going to hand her my pack and I was going to take off. So when mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, Oh, I have to like, do all these extra steps to like switch out my bottles and like worry about emptying my garbage and putting new gels in. She's like, I don't have time for this. I got to go. And so yeah. I just went, um, and I didn't accept. Do you feel assistance. like you, you had a little bit of like frantic energy or like you were with, caught up a little bit too early with, in the, in the competitive side of things? Without a doubt. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, it's I great also, to hear that, you know, like the champion is, I mean, cause, cause, cause that could have been a critical mistake, right? It could have been like it, you going out harder than you probably anticipated skipping the aid station just because you were sort of like yeah. in a rush. So, yeah. I mean, so, so I don't know if there's anything else you want to kind of mention uh, into that I mean, uh, I, transition and how it impacted your race and how you recovered from it, I think would be interesting. It was a hundred percent a mental mistake. I don't think the, 
the level to which I pushed, I would have paid for as much if I had restocked there. If I mm-hmm. had taken, cause I, I headed up green mountain with, I think all in all, like combined a half of a flask of water, um, like two ginger chews. And I think I had two gels and one I ate immediately, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been like my aid station gel. So I started up that climb with one gel, a couple, a couple, um, ginger chews and that's it. I mean, I was stocked to be empty when I reached that aid station. And so I had no fuel left to get to Maggie. Yeah. And now my like climbing and I knew I pushed hard enough. that I'd bonk probably a little bit, but I also knew like I had all of pole Creek to recover. Like it's so runnable. And, um, so when I started climbing five minutes in, I started cramping so bad. My quads are just like cinched up really, really tight. And so mm-hmm. now I'm forced to, to resort to just a casual walk and like swallow my pride and let Courtney run by me and just like maintain my composure until I got to Maggie. And that's when I like drank an entire jar of pickle juice. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, fill me up, fill me up. And then like the aid station worker, like moved on to other runners and I just like helped myself and yeah. just pouring my pickle juice. Um, so this is great though, yeah. because I think, and I think fans of the sport, fans of yours and Courtney's would love to sort of like get a glimpse into this, right? Like obviously the two of you are the favorites. Darcy's there, Megan Hicks is there, but it's basically Sabrina versus Courtney, right? And so you sort of have this, this rushed uh, and and probably uh, mistake riddled aid station transition at Cunningham. Courtney ends up getting in front of you and gets a fairly sizable gap. So maybe talk a little bit about your psychology of racing Courtney specifically. Obviously, we we know that you had supreme confidence in yourself, but when you're facing an athlete like Courtney, obviously she deserves a lot of respect and she is a worthy competitor. So maybe talk a little bit about the psychology of that, of watching Courtney gain that gap on you. What was going through your head? Yeah. I mean, I knew what my, one of my splits to be when I headed into the race. And so I tried to really focus on, it doesn't matter what Courtney does at all. Like she could be an hour up in, on me and new Ray, and it's not going to matter because these are the splits I'm going to hit and I know how even they are and how much I'm going to gain in the back half. And so if she is running an hour ahead of me coming into your Ray, that just means that she's probably going to really fall off on the back half because humanly to perform that well, if she can, if she maintained that she would be podium men and you just can't maintain that. And so if, if she was that far ahead of my splits, like I wasn't concerned. Um, There is that, weird draw when you see her there though that like you want to run with her and not let her get out of your sight so it's it's just like this weird patience game that you have to master um so yeah I I really after Maggie I knew I was in trouble physically and that I needed to to really check myself um and not race her that early and so Pole Creek I just kind of honestly threw that 100% out the window like she can run Pole Creek as fast as she wants to I'm going to come into mile 25 as fresh as I can, recovered as I can. And I'm also going to go up handies, that same mentality. Like, wow. At this, this early in the race, all you have to do is like check off the miles. You yeah. don't have to race them and you have to just move efficiently. And so you need to make sure your body is healthy as possible when you get here so that you can race the last half. Yeah. Because if you get into your Ray and you're, 
you're fucked. Like, yeah, there's a long way to go from here. A long way to go. And like that camp bird road will never end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a great uh, message, a great lesson for the people who are listening to have that discipline. Right. And obviously like the first nine miles, you lacked the discipline probably a little bit and then immediately sort of realized, okay, if I can continue to do this, it's not going to turn out the way that I want. So accepting the fact that Courtney, who's your main competition is running away from you and gaining a gap, but instead of having that frantic energy that maybe you had earlier to have the discipline to get back to your own plan and continue on. It's really, it's really brilliant. So anyway, yeah, go ahead. Did you want to say something? I was going to say it just comes with like experience to an extent too. Yeah. I mean, I, the same thing happened in Western, like you get to a point and you're like, Oh, things are going South and I need to stop it right now. So like, if that's like taking five minutes to like hike it out and like regather your mental like strength, then you have to do that. So that was me at KT. I was like stumbling and falling all over the place in the mile and a half leading into the aid stage. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to sit here for a little while and and get my wits about me. Otherwise I might not make it. So um, anyway, so like just kind of stick on the subject of, of the competition between yourself and Courtney. I watched your I Run Far interview before the race and, you know, you said something like, if I win, and then you checked yourself and you said, when I win. <laughs> and obviously, like, we all know, like, it's no disrespect to Courtney. She's an amazing athlete. It's a display of self-confidence, right? But I'm curious, like, where you get that self-confidence, especially in relationship to somebody like Courtney, who has been such a transformative figure within the sport over the last five years, what gave you the confidence to say when I win, as opposed to if I win? Um, I mean, I studied those splits. I knew Diana's Finkel split splits. I knew I've been running the course all summer. I knew how fast I could do certain climbs, how slow I did certain climbs. I knew, that every single, like, there's not a section of that course that I wasn't on multiple times that summer, except for the the mile and a quarter that were closed or that was closed. Mm -hmm. So, um, I can count on my one hand, the amount of times that I did not run on course from four months out. Every single run was on course. My pre, so I always do like a 50 mile or 50 K before the race. And I plan that out as far out as I think I need to recover and still have an efficient training block and go into hard rock as fresh as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, everything goes to hard rock. There are no other goals at all. And so watching Courtney as a competitor, I knew that her mind wasn't as dialed on hard rock as mine, whether that's true or not, that's what it was in my head. Mm-hmm. And, um, that gave me confidence. Um, I knew she didn't know the course like I did. I knew she probably didn't study the splits like I did. I knew that she had never been on that course before or raced it. Um, I knew what her race schedule looked like leading up to hard rock and how well she was performing. And in my, like, I, I mean, obviously I'm going to spin it. So it's in my favor. And so in my mind, instead of being fearful of how well she did at San Juan, you got to like turn it in your head and be like, okay, she exerted that much energy Mm. that I did not 20 days out. Wow. And whatever people say about like racing ultras, I, I'm a true believer that like, it takes a, it takes a toll. I mean, it has to, like, I don't care if you're the, I mean, arguably Killian, 
Killian, like, <laughs> yeah. apparently it does. Always the anomaly. Him. Always yes. the anomaly. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> if I were to run a 50 miler that close to hard rock, like I, it would be a struggle fest. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to confidence in my own preparation. And then also learning about her. Um, I've no, I haven't been around Courtney that much, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. And I, there's a reason for that. Like uh, somebody told me at Western, like there's a quote, it's like if, um, and I don't hate Courtney in any way, but um, if you don't want to hate somebody, don't get to know them. And so like, I have to keep that arm's length. Like I can't hmm. be friends with my competitors. Like it's just not like the day I race Abby, I don't know how that's going to go because really, I just want so much success for her. Like she's such an incredible human and mm -hmm. athlete. And like, I, it will be hard for me to compete against her. I think like, cause I just want her, I want her to win. You know what I mean? I and, think you can balance it. I think you should work on that. I think you can balance okay. it. Psychologically. Yes. I should work on that. Yes, yeah, you maybe. Should, maybe that's yeah. It's uh, I'll talk to my sports psychologist about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I yeah. don't know how to cross that line. Cause like, I, yeah. it's like team sports, you have your girlfriends and then everybody else on the other team is the enemy. Maybe I took it sure. too intense. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's room for the positive sum mentality yeah. of you want the best for yourself and you're going to compete your ass off. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think there's, there's room for you guys to be, to be good buddies, but. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. Like I said, I have no, no feelings. Like I of did course. It's like, yeah, but, um, no, I mean, I think your, your competitiveness is, I think one of the things that makes you so special and, and, uh, contributes to, these incredible feats of strength and endurance that you keep displaying over and over. Um, so like to talk a little bit more about the race, obviously um, Courtney ended up coming through your I think it was like 20 minutes in front of you, but you passed her on camp bird road and the climb up to Virginia's pass. That's basically halfway into the race at that point. And you said earlier that you were prepared for her to have an hour lead on you at your that you were so confident in your ability to maintain a somewhat even pace in the second half of the race, which is so, so freaking hard. Um, just curious, sort of like what your, your psychology was, what your reaction was when you saw Courtney on the side of the road and realized that your competition was now you against Diana Finkel's course record rather than you against Courtney. Yeah. I mean, I wished I'd made that transition a little bit smoother. I don't think I ever truly made that transition mm. as much as I like had my splits set up that way all through training. I envisioned Courtney running next to me for the last half, like I, or me hunting her down. Um, I never like truly thought that I would be in the lead at that point. And if I did, I knew that like something had gone wrong on her end. Um, and so, yeah, I just like never, never practice that mindset. I would say like my mindset was Courtney will be pushing you the entire time and you will be fighting for it till the very end. Mm. And, uh, so in that like mythical, like whatever it was, and it was just gone. And so now two hours up on Darcy and I uh, got into Telluride feeling really good. And the climb out of Telluride just went, it was, it was slow. And, it it's took so way, way hard. longer. It's so yeah. freaking hard. Yeah. That was definitely my hardest climb of the race. And mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was throwing up, but as far as like my legs and like my knees and ankles, my joints, everything looking back, I think I should have and could have pushed harder. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it just, it, it didn't, it didn't yeah. happen that way. Well, you need a, a worthy competitor like that to, to push you to your ultimate potential. So it was too bad that, that Courtney wasn't able to, uh, you know, make it to the finish line. And I think for the good of the sport, we'd all love to see, uh, you guys actually push each other all the way to the finish line because it would be incredible. I think what you guys would be able to accomplish out on, on that course together. But ultimately you did have a incredible strong finish in 27 hours, 21 minutes. You ultimately missed the course record by only three minutes, which is a tiny margin over the course of 27 (laughs) hours. How are you feeling about your performance? I mean, I know you feel like you can go faster on the course, but overall, what are your feelings about your personal 2021, uh, hard rock 100 and, um, yeah, sort of like, how do, how do you feel like this race fits within the greater context of your career? Um, I mean, I think it's a nice piece of the pie. I've, I've always said, like, I want to get hard rock in both directions. Um, Check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like, obviously, Grand Raid, Nolan's. Um, I would like, I would still like to win, I think, Western, Leadville, and UTMB. And then, like, once I have those, then I like, can, like, sit back and be like, yeah, like, look at it as a whole. Um, and then even then, I think I will still, like, after that, like, I want to go back and do, or not go back, but I want to go and do tour. Tour is, like, a huge bucket lister for me my goodness oh that would be perfect for you so you envision that you envision that uh much later in your career after you tackle utmb and leadville and western states again yeah i mean i'm kind of scared of not scared of it but scared of the recovery from it and like what it would do to Uh, the future of what i'm capable of yeah um so yeah, I just kind of want to hold off on that until it's like one of the very last goals I need to check off. But mm-hmm. I, I think if you had asked me, like you have one more race to do ever and that's it, it would be tour for sure. Really? Cause yeah. Avery's done it too, right? Yeah. So I got to crew it and crewing yeah. it was just mind blowing. I mean, it's, it's Nolan's, but race style, like it is up and down, up and down nonstop. You know, you get different elements of weather. You got snow, rain, lightning, and then 80 degrees. And then what, like four nights, five nights for the lead female. Um, yeah, wow. I watched, um, Sylvia, uh, um, I, for, I'm blanking on her last name, but she set the course record for the women and just Avery ran with her a lot. And so I got to see the lead female coming through all the aid stations and how she carried herself. And, um, man, my mind was just like, it was so blown. Wow. I mean, that would be perfect for you. The, the double Nolans, uh, I'm sure would set you up perfectly for a really great tour. (laughs) So I'll look forward to watching that whenever, uh, you make time for it. So I have a few more things I want to talk about. I hope, uh, I hope you have some more time to hang out, but you know, one of the things, again, we've sort of talked about this a couple of times is just like your self-belief, your self-confidence, the fact that you're never intimidated. You know, you've got no reluctance to accept a challenge. You've won every race you've done for more than three years. And, you know, contrary to maybe what you think, that's not going to last forever, right? You know, like you, you <laughs> are going to hit some adversity at some point. Yeah. I'm curious, sort of like how you think about that. Like, do you, do you allow yourself to entertain the thought of failure ever? Or how do you deal with disappointment if and when it ever arises again in your life? It's a good question. Um, 
I prepare as much as I can. I take every single race extremely seriously. I think I, I do everything I can to set myself up for success. I've never walked into a race of any size, competitive or not, whatever distance, and said, like, I'm just going to walk home with it today. Like, it's, it's a given. Like, there's, I don't even have to try. I can just, no matter what goes wrong or what goes right, this is my race. And I don't know. Like, there's, I think because I was this girl, like, there's always that deep-seated fear that there's going to be some local chick who's been working her ass off and wants to, wants to beat Sabrina Stanley. And whether she's real or not, like, I am scared to death of that chick. Huh. And so every race I go into, she's on the starting line with me and like, she's not going to beat me. Like, I mean, I want all the local girls out there that to keep kicking ass and to keep dreaming and do their thing. But when you step up, when you step on the starting line next to me, I don't care what your name is. Like I'm ready for you. Mm -hmm. And that's how I go into every race. So failure with the day I fail, like I'll have broken my leg or something and I'm still going to finish. Like, it's, I know it's going to happen one day, but I choose to believe that when it does happen, it'll be the sign that like my career is now on the tail end. And so, um, it'll be like a natural, like life progression. Like I know I'm not going to be this fit forever. I know I'm not going to be this young and this healthy forever, but I'm going to maintain it as long as I can. And, and so, like I said, if, if, if something happens, before I'm in my forties, which I'm 31 now. So that's yeah, a statement. Yeah, right. I don't mean it like that, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know I can't win every race for the rest of my life. Like that's mm -hmm. insane, but I'm, I am going to try, yes. <laughs> like, I'm going to try really hard. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and well, when I fail again, it'll just be like Leadville. Like when I failed that, like, it'll be that much more of a driving factor for every race after that. Mm -hmm. And like, I just need to refuel that like tank of like, I don't know, desire yeah. again. Do things ever get hard in training for you? Like, do you ever have moments of self-doubt in your preparation or is it all in total commitment? This is my race. Nobody's working as hard as me and pure confidence. I, like, mean, is, I, I guess what I'm wondering is like, do you ever doubt yourself? Like, is there ever a moment where like before hard rock where you're like, ah, oh, you know, this is Courtney DeWalter. Like I, yeah, you know, like she's training harder than me. She lives a little higher than me in Leadville. Like, was there anything like that any days where you doubted your ability to win the race? If Courtney had beat me, I think I would have hand, I would have bowed to her. Like, mm -hmm. I know how much work I put in. Mm. I know exactly how much work I put in. If she beat me, then like kudos to you girl. Cause that means you worked harder than I did. And I refuse to believe that there's somebody out there that's working harder than I am. And yeah, I mean, there are days where I sleep in, but that just means I'm out running after dark. You know, there are days where um, Avery and I are having a fight and like, it's just like physically or emotionally, like, mm. God, I gotta go run right now. And like, I'm also dealing with this other shit. And like, I'm not saying we fight a lot, but like life happens, you know what I mean? Sure. Like your yeah, your dog course. dies, yeah. you know, your, your, there's relationship issues in your family or mm -hmm. weddings are happening that you have other commitments. And I think you just, you have to make sacrifices. And so it's, what's important to you is, 
again, like working on your relationship right now, what's the most important today or is hard rock what's most important today? And you have to like calibrate those in your head. Hmm. And so, um, and make those sacrifices. Like I, I don't party. I don't maintain a lot of like close relationships. I mean, I have like girlfriends that I'm super tight with, but they know if they don't hear from me for four months, like what's going on, it's not personal. Like I have other shit I'm focusing on and they can call me when they want to call me and I'll call them back when I have time. Yeah. Um, You know, I, because of Avery, I go to bed really early. Um, like I don't, there's just so many little, like we live in Silverton. It's eight hours to the closest international airport, but I'm also on course every single day. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I feel I've made as many sacrifices as I can to be successful as I can. And I'll keep doing that. I love that. Gwen Jorgensen, the Olympic gold medalist triathlete said that instead of using the word sacrifice, she uses the word investments, which I love. Yeah, exactly. uh, So it's, it's not that you're, you're giving something up. It's that you're, you're putting something in a bank that is compounding and ultimately is going to be ready for withdrawal when you need it most. So it's really like, it's true professionalism. So kudos to you. And it, it paid off for you at hard rock this year. And again, it's just like, there's, I feel like you have such a bright future and I just can't wait to see what you tackle. Um, you've also said like in our conversation that you don't feel like you're that talented and that hundred milers are sort of like your wheelhouse. I'm curious just sort of like what you feel like your strengths are. I mean, obviously you've done, you've done hard rock twice. You've won both times, both directions. You did Nolan's twice in a summer that would indicate that like you're a mountain hundred mile type athlete. Western States is a totally different animal, as you know. So is Leadville. You know, those are fast courses. What do you think about those two races as being part of the future that you envision for yourself and in relationship to your strengths and weaknesses? Do you feel like being more of a mountain athlete would make that uh, transition a little bit more difficult to be successful at those races? I think I have boxed myself in to a mountain athlete, just cause I don't know that that's why not get all those races done at the same time while I'm in that kind of fitness. Sure. But I mean, I also did Leadville. I mean, my t- I forget what my time was, but I was fourth that year and I would, didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was getting an idea, but I was so green. That was my first hundred mile finish. And I think now I could go back and take hours and hours off of that time. Yeah. I think I am a fast, not a fast runner, but I think I can be a fast mountain. I mean, I'm calling Western States kind of a mountain run, but like a fast trail hundred miler. Um, yeah, I mean, I did, it's been years, but like I did Sean O'Brien and I feel like I did that pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Leadville successfully, Western successfully. And those were all when I was, I mean, Western was my second hundred mile finish. Yeah. And so I can improve upon all those. It just takes a four month training block of dedication and, and, honing those skills in. Um, I, I like, I did never summer 2019 and that's a very, very runnable back half of the course. Um, I have the second fastest time there. So I think like, I don't think I, I understand why people would, cause I say it too, like put me as a mountain hundred mile. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like that's my, that's Specialist, my spot. Yeah. But, um, once I knock all those out and there's, I need to focus on more running 
races that you can run more, I think just change the training and you feel like you can be just as strong. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, can't wait to see, can't wait to see that too. So let's sort of like wrap things up by talking about UTMB because we can't, I can't, I can't resist the temptation. It's too fun fun to think about. And for me really like the story of the race going in from my perspective is like you, Jim, Francois and Beth Pascal all going for insane doubles, right? So you and Francois champions at the hard rock 100 going for UTMB Jim and Beth Pascal, the champions of Western States going for UTMB. And I'm curious with your level of commitment to hard rock, the last four months, everything has pointed only to hard rock. And you said that you haven't even thought about UTMB now, I'm sure in the last seven days since you finished Hard Rock, maybe you've started to think about it. So what are your thoughts uh, about the UTMB and when are you traveling over there? And and just generally, what's going to be your strategy in terms of recovery and then trying to prepare for the specific demands of that race? Yeah. Um, so I fly out Tuesday. Um, and so that's the 28th or 27th. Um, so I'll get there on the 28th, have basically a month on the dot, um, to train and, and worry about that. I mean, I think any hundred it's smart to go in conservative and this time I will have a reason to, um, and like be more dedicated to, to taking it easy for honestly, like the first hundred K I think is safe. Um, so I'll just take what my body can give me for the first hundred K sit back, relax, kind of see how the race is unfolding. And then at that hundred K mark, see how many women I can, I can, take off or mm-hmm. men. If, if I'm the lead at that point, no, <laughs> no, I know Beth's going to go out hot. Like she, she's a really strong runner. Um, I mean the whole women's field I'm sure is like insane. I, yeah. yeah. Um, Courtney will be racing it as well. And so I'm sure she'll be out there a little bit hungry and yeah, I'm just going to run it as hard as I can and, and stay in control for the first hundred K then just see how fast I can blow my body up by a hundred mile mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, how are you thinking about it in relationship to the fact that you just finished hard rock? I mean, yeah. you'll, you'll be out there by what the middle of next week. Mm-hmm. The temptation is it's very easy to succumb to the temptation to just go out and do huge days, but obviously you're already yeah. fit. You need to recover. Yeah. Uh, you've got a lot of strength built already from your hard rock training camp in the race itself. What are you thinking about in terms of recovery and then the training leading into the race? I mean, I, I haven't ran since hard rock. I don't plan to run until we hit the 10 day mark. Um, so I'm taking those days very seriously. Um, do as much yoga as you can, like get everything, get all the kinks worked out, stretch it out. Um, and then I've already volunteered to like my Adidas teammates. Like if you guys need rides anywhere, let me know. I'm not doing any big adventure days. So if you guys want to do like these huge point to point runs, let me know. Oh, and I can pick brilliant. you up or drop you off. Sabrina, so, this is so smart, man. <laughs> I love I mean, that because you, you're sort of like making that commitment early. You know, you're volunteering it. Hopefully they take you up on that. Uh, that for sure. Uh, yeah. That willingness to help. I think uh, that's really smart. I don't think I'll get caught. I mean, I've been out there before. Um, Although I would love to go out for 50 K every day and just explore the mountains. I know, I get, I know what my end goal is. I know what's important and I'm not going to sacrifice that for a fun day on the trails with, with my teammates. Um, and if there's any way I can make their experience better by 
letting them have longer runs or point to point stuff or, you know, whatever they need, I can be there to assist them and just get in my five to 10 miles or whatever it is and let my body continue to recover. Yeah. So smart. So, I mean, like, is the goal to win the race? I mean, so you've talked like you have one A goal a year this year, it's hard rock. The last four months, you haven't thought about UTMB at all. There's going to be a lot of women in the race who have thought only about UTMB for the last two years, probably because it was canceled last year. Like, how do you, how do you think about the race itself and the, yeah, just sort of like, can it, can you win it without that hundred percent focus? Although I've only been thinking about hard rock, my fitness is there to win UTMB. Um, this next month I think is obviously so crucial into what's going to happen on race day. And so it's taking that seriously. It's taking when I am out there during my training runs, as much as I can get on course, I think will be helpful just to know when to push and when not to. Um, I don't like, I just, I have that, that like hunger when I want, when I reach hundred K that I just want to like chase people down. Mm. Um, and so honestly, that's the best position for me to be on is like towards the back of the pack and just like start cleaning house. And so like yes. that hunger uh, is what's going to drive me. Um, I don't think it's out of the cards for me when I don't think that's crazy. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm a really strong athlete and I'm like, I'm not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like I'm learning to embrace, like I got like some quads on me. Like I, my glutes are big. Like I am strong. Like I'm not, <sighs> I'm not dainty. And so, um, as long as I can like channel my strength and mentally push past any, like, if I win, yeah, it'll probably be like at 80% of what, cause I mean, I just did hard rock, Yeah. but do I think I can win at 80%? I do. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Sabrina, this has been so fun. It's great to get to know you a little bit. And I want to just kind of ask one more question before you let you go. Obviously, you know, we've referenced your partner, Avery, a couple of times here, he's going to be running CCC. You're going to be running UTMB. I wonder if you have any kind of, insights into yeah sort of how you, how you guys manage that i think two very high performance minded athletes going to the same place and wanting each other to succeed but being focused on your own goals is there anything there that uh you think would be interesting to share before we wrap up um i think it's just knowing that you're on the same team like no matter what happens you are on the same team and whatever I can do, like he put so much focus towards both my Nolan's attempts to hard rock. Like he, he's my support system and he has whatever he can do to make my life easier. He does, which is like so hard to find in a partner. So if you have that, like you got to appreciate, you got to appreciate them so much. And I yeah. think he knows how much I appreciate him and how, how much he makes sacrifices for me. And so if I can do that in any way, for CCC for him and not sacrifice my own race. Like I will like, again, like giving him a ride and like helping him get ready, whatever that is. Like I, we've had a conversation, like you can reach out to me for support and you can reach out to me for help. So like, let me know what you need mm -hmm. over this next month. Cause I have everything dialed in from hard rock and I can almost just like flip it over to UTMB. Like I'm mentally mm -hmm. there. I'm physically there. And like, you still have a month of like intense training. So, um, yeah, we're, I know it's so like corny, but we truly are each other's best friends. We love each other so much. We respect each other so much. 
And, um, so if there's a way I can help his training, I'm going to do what I can over the next month. And I think just that, that, um, knowing how much he sacrificed for me and letting him know, like, I can do that for you when the time comes, you know what I mean? Like, it can't just yeah. be always like, take, 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 cause like they're going to get burnt out. And so, of course, of course, yeah. although I'm doing UTMB, I'm still like right now, like we're both thinking like, what can Avery do for CCC to get better in the next month? And how can I help you do that? Same team. Love it. Yeah. I also love soul check. I'm going to use that in, in my future. The soul yeah. check. <laughs> well, Sabrina, congratulations on another victory at hard rock. Thank you for making the time to chat with me here today. It's been a treat to get to know you a little bit. I appreciate you sharing the story a little bit and I'm so inspired by your attitude, your self-belief. It's something that I'm going to try and cultivate a little bit more within myself as a result. I wish you nothing but the best. Travel safe over there to Europe and uh, I'll see you over there. I'm not going to yes. race, but I'll see you over there cool, cool. and uh, we'll look forward to at least giving you a high five uh, there in Chamonix. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you, Dylan. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to Sabrina for coming on and sharing her thoughts, her experience, her advice, her future goals. I, for one, can't wait to see what she does in the future. I think she's just getting started, which is a scary, scary thought. I'm also so inspired to work on my own mindset as an athlete and competitor. Uh, so if you don't already, please do go follow Sabrina on Instagram, send her a DM, let her know if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I have a link to her profile in the show notes. She is a great follow. As I mentioned at the top, this show is made possible by the subscribers of the Pillars app. If you enjoy the show and you need help with your ultra training, if you want to be part of a growing, passionate community of trail runners, we would love to have you. Please check out the Pillars app in the iOS and Android app stores. That's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening. I appreciate you all so much. Until next time, love you so much. Bye-bye.